Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today we're in week two of a new series called Raise a Life, and I, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter five. Romans is a rich book, isn't it? It's filled with surprises. How many of you enjoy surprises? Not like the scary surprise, but like the really good surprise, right? I love surprises. It's almost like that game show, Let's Make a Deal, right? Where you have all the doors behind you and open it up. And I love opening doors for a surprise, but sometimes you've got to be careful opening the door because sometimes there might be a goat behind the door, right? <laughs> if you are with us last week, you remember how we talked about this friend of mine who he was a master home builder and he built like, you know, this amazing home. Was, there were no boundaries to it. And it had marble floors, all the countertops, all the woodwork was just, just above and beyond. And he went back a year to check it out to make sure it was still doing well. And when he opened the door, a smell came out. Everything was chipped because they had a pet goat in the house. True story. I have documentation with my wife, okay? True story. They let a goat in. The goat chipped it up, ate all the woodwork, did everything. But they were happy, okay? They were happy. So, And he's still my friend, so... Uh, it's, we, but we have to be careful what we, what we let in our house. And I think that's what Paul is trying to tell us today, is that there's a responsibility that comes because when we open doors, we are in community with each other. So when I open a door in my life, I'm not just opening a door to, to myself, but I'm opening a door to all of you. What I do has an effect on everybody around me. See, it's the power of one person to change everything. And that's what Paul is talking about today. He's saying that one life has an incredible opportunity, but it also comes with a responsibility. So let's look at this. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. Here's what it says. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Bummer. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift, listen to this, God's free gift, it leads to our being made right with God even though we are guilty of many sins. For, this, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. But we're not done yet. We got verse 18. Verse 18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation to everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God 
and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because the other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a lot of verses to say, Adam sinned, but Jesus saved you. Adam sinned, but Jesus saved you. Adam sinned, but Jesus saved you. Amen? Jesus saved you. And I think one of the things that we need to get clear in our heart as we understand this is that classic poem by John Donne, No Man is an Island. How many of you are familiar with that? No Man is an Island, one of my favorite poems because it speaks about the value of community that we need to understand if we're to really take in what Paul is trying to tell us today. See, No Man is an Island, it brings that responsibility and it echoes what Paul is talking about that if one person is pulled away, it affects all of us. See, in this setting, Paul is setting up a comparison between Adam and Jesus. Adam introduced death. Jesus opened the door and brought in new life. See, Paul is giving us the problem, but then he gives us the solution. Amen? He's giving us the solution, and he's doing that in order for us to give this this clear understanding. But in order to appreciate the solution and the responsibility that comes with it, we need to have a clear understanding of the problem. See, there were answers that my parents gave me growing up and solutions that I didn't fully appreciate because I didn't really understand the problem. Have you ever been there? And sometimes you've been living in this, in this great provision and you just kind of took it for granted and then one day you realize how big the problem was that you never had to face because it was covered for you. So for us to understand this problem, we need to kind of address this big question in this. And here's a big question for me, especially as a kid, as I heard this. When I thought about this as a kid, Let me say, when I actually had thoughts as a kid growing up and went through, one of the big questions for me with this passage was, why should I be held held responsible for Adam? I mean, Adam messed up, not me. Have you ever experienced that? Right? It's like, why should I pay for my brother's mistakes or my sister's mistakes? Have you been there? They messed up, not me. Go get them. Take care of them, but it's all good in my hood, God. I'm fine. But we need to understand as we walk through this, a key thing, I think for all of us, whether we're followers of Christ or not, and the fact is that we are all connected. We are all connected. See, we all came from one couple. And that couple was Adam and Eve. And there's a lot of debate over this, and especially over the last 30 years, there's been a lot of conversation about this. Did we really come from one historic couple, or was that just an analogy? Was that just just poetry going on? And I think for us to dive into that, we need to have a clear understanding of what the Bible is. See, the Bible is a book that is written, and it uses a lot of different literary devices, right? There's things that are recorded as it's historical fact. There's great poetry in the book. There's metaphors. There's analogies. There's so many great things. It's an amazing book, but it's also the Word of God. But as we look at this issue, did we all come from one couple? There is so much documentation to support it. And as we look at it, when we look at the Bible as it, as, it re, as it relates to whether or not Adam and Eve were a historical couple or it was just this metaphor, as we look through Scripture, using Scripture to, incur, to interpret Scripture, we find that it, 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 they were a historical couple. 
because as we, as we look at it, the Bible genealogies, they point back to a historical Adam and Eve, a real Adam and Eve. Jesus, in his teaching, he pointed back to a real, literal Adam and Eve. And the Apostle Paul, he continually points back to his historical Adam and Eve. And you may say, Pastor Duane, that's good if you believe the Bible, but I don't believe the Bible. How do I wrestle with that, right? Well, here's how. We look to science. How many science lovers do we have in the room? Hopefully all of you, Okay. Hopefully all of you. Science is something I learned the older I got, the more I appreciated it. I just didn't like it when I was being tested. Okay? But I now love it. But here, when we look to science, here's what we find. We find that all human beings share the same anatomy, physiology, and chemistry, and the same genes constituting a single species. Best explained by positing our descent from a common ancestor. Dr. Christopher Stringer of London's Natural History Museum says it this way. He says that genetic evidence indicates that all living people share a recent common ancestor. Now, there's a lot that could be said about that and a lot more to go into that. That's not the sermon today, but I think it's important for us to at least identify that, place that on the table, and say that when we look at how we're connected, we go back to an origin. We go back to Adam and Eve And even as we look at our life, whether it's scripture or just anecdotally, we know that we flourish when we are in a healthy community. I am better with you than not with you. I'll say that personally. I'm better when I'm with you than I'm not with you, okay? When I'm feeling sick and I'm with you, I feel better. When I'm healthy and I'm with you, I feel better. Whatever state I'm in, I feel better with you. And we know from research that when we are together, We have this benefit that comes from it. And one of the benefits is that we are stronger physically. Everyone say amen, okay? Sometimes we have this love-hate relationship with being together, with being in community. But we need to understand that we have a lot of benefits from being together. One is being stronger physically because they have found out that those without social interaction, they die prematurely. Amen. I don't want you to die. You die prematurely when you're not connected to each other. The increased mortality risk is comparable to that of smoking. See, isolation, it impairs our immune function and it boosts inflammation, which can lead to arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. Oh, my. We need to be connected. When we're connected, we are stronger emotionally. We're stronger intellectually. I told you before, when I got married, my grades went up. Thank you, Stephanie. Okay? Community brings the opportunity for collaboration and for mentoring. See, the heart of mentoring is that it would help people to reach their fullest potential in life. That's why we need each other. Mentoring back and forth. Helping each other. David McClellan of Harvard University discovered that 95% of our success or our failure is determined by people we habitually associate with. The Bible says it this way. If you want to be wise, you walk with the wise, okay? That's why my mom and dad were like, what are you doing hanging out with that guy for? <laughs> or maybe other parents were talking to me and saying, what are you doing hanging out with Dwayne for? What are you doing over there for, Okay. We are better when we're in community, we're, and we're stronger because we're also, there's a, there's a level of protection in community. How many of you have ever heard someone say, I got your back? I got your back. Anyone say that to you? Let me say it to you. I'm going to say it to all of you so you can raise your hand. I got your back. There you go. I got your back. We got your back. It's community. We help each other. We're there for each other. 
But the challenge with community and the challenge with this growth that it brings and the benefit that it brings is that there is a process. No one, when you come in community, they wave a wand over you and say, you're strong, everything's all good, right? There's a process that comes with this. And this is a challenge because we don't like process. We don't. We want things now. But we need a process because life has a dulling effect. Like me, you've probably found out that the more you swing, the duller the axe gets. See, I grew up in a culture where we lived on wood heat. Our home was heated with wood. There's nothing like it. It's warm. It soaks through you. It just gets down to your very bones. But cutting the wood is a lot of work. And there were so many times that my dad would see me chopping, and he'd come out, and he'd look at my axe. He's like, when was the last time you sharpened your axe? I was like, sharpen your axe? And then he would sharpen it, and I would see him just be so efficient and effortless. And then I would take it. And sometimes I'd swing and I'd hit rocks and blunt it. He'd be like, be careful. I'm like, why? It's sharp. He's like, not anymore. You got to sharpen it again. See, the more that we use it, the more we got to go back and be refined and sharpened, don't we? This is the process that we go through. See, few things are more frustrating than using a blunt tool. You work harder and you work longer and you get fewer results. But this is the value of community because community sharpens us. Proverbs tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens the other. But sharpening can be painful. Have you ever seen a master take a tool and sharpen it? There's sparks flying. There's things going out. They've got it down. There's a lot of heat. There's a lot of friction. And sometimes they'll even heat the blade up, and then they'll work on it, and then they'll cool it off, and they'll heat it, and they'll cool it off. How many of you felt like, man, I've been sharpening a lot this week. That's been my life, okay? There's a lot of sharpening going on, but we need that process. See, when I get dull, I need to be sharpened. I need those nicks to be refined in my life. And the challenge is there's no shortcut to being sharpened. There's no shortcut to it. And this is the hard part about community. Because see, community, it challenges us, but it changes us. It strengthens us. And this brings a choice to our lives. And the choice is we can stay in community and be strengthened and be refined. And not just you, but what you bring to community. Because we do it back and forth, right? As more people come in and as I meet new friends in my life, I'm strengthened as well. It goes both ways. I help sharpen them, they they help sharpen me. And we work that out. We need this. Because the choice is to stay in a healthy community, very important healthy community, godly community, or to leave and to spend the rest of your life just being dull, ineffective, a blunt, just working so hard and saying, why is this not working for me? We need this. About seven years ago, I came to a realization that I needed somebody to intentionally mentor me. Now, I've, you know, I, I've been fortunate to have many great friends over the years, but God was beginning to speak to me in a way that scared me. Have you ever been there? He's speaking some things to you, and you're going, God, if I open and say yes to this door that you're putting in front of me, a door you're calling me to go through, I realize that's going to affect my family, my friends, the place where I'm at. I need to know it's you. I need to know that I'm hearing, hearing you. Because we say that we're hearing God, but then when the stakes go up, we're like, wait a minute. (laughs) Did God really say? And so I sought out somebody. And I began to talk to somebody. Who's somebody that I can talk to, that I can just walk through, that I can just dive deep in my soul with this person and say anything to? 
and they're not gonna hate me. Yeah, Jesus. But I needed somebody to help me walk with Jesus in this way. And I found somebody called Barry Scholey. And for two years, he walked with me, with Jesus, asking the deep questions. And as we grew, I became more and more vulnerable, able to put my insecurities on the table, able to put my doubts on the table. Do you know that pastors have doubts and have challenges? Everyone has doubts. Everyone has things that they're working through. It's the whole, Lord, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. I wasn't coming to a crisis of faith. I was coming to a crisis of walking in that faith because God was saying, I'm testing you. I'm pushing you out. I'm doing some things in your life. And we walked through that. And a mentor, that community, helped me do that. He helped me walk through that. See, we need this. We need to stay in community. We need people like this in our life. We need that healthy healthy sharpening because it is so important. Because even though the process is difficult, we need to embrace it because our connection to each other is what saves us because there's a reality that, that Paul is talking about here and the reality he's talking about is that, is that one person can change everything. Do you know that? One person can change everything. It's the power of one. See, my actions affect everybody. One person can change everything. What I do affects everybody. I want you to put up that picture that follows this. Now, do you realize what's happening right here? This was my childhood, okay? One thing that we would commonly do as a child growing up is we would get our bikes, and I actually, this is not a picture of me. I wasn't that cool looking with those cool pants and everything, but I had a bike like that. It was the heaviest pedal bike you could get, okay? This is not a motorbike. This is a pedal bike, and we would build a ramp much like this, broken crates, bricks, broken boards, whatever, and then we would get the first five people or whatever and say, line up, I'm going to run down this ramp and I'm going to jump over you. Has anyone else here ever done that as a kid growing up? I hope my kids aren't raising their hand, right? Or maybe you were the kid, like my five sisters on the side going, what is Dwayne doing now? I'm going to tell mom. See, we are really good Before you judge me, we are really good at thinking about how does this affect me. And for the person riding the bike who was me, this affects me. I feel good. I'm excited. This is going to be fun. I can't wait. But we're really terrible at thinking about how does it affect those five poor souls that are lying out going, has Dwayne done this before? I'm not seeing anybody who's ever told this story See, we're really good at thinking about how it affects us, but we're terrible at thinking, how does it affect my friends? And it brings this tension that I believe that Paul is bringing out, and it's the tension of solidarity versus individuality. See, the biblical understanding is one of solidarity, meaning that we are all connected. We are all connected. Your wins are my wins. Your losses are my losses. That's what solidarity is, and this is the biblical understanding. And even in that day, that was the cultural understanding. We are all connected. In cultures like Asia and Africa, this idea of solidarity is commonplace. We are all connected, family. What I do as an individual, it affects my family. But the Western mindset is often one of just being individualistic. It's all about me. We have devices like I do that have I in front of it, right? Right, I know, I'm sorry, okay? We have all these things, I love my iPad. (laughs) But we have this idea 
of just being individualistic. Tim Keller, I think he says it great when he says, we see humanity as made up of as many autonomous units as there are people. The Bible takes a radically different approach, that of human solidarity. The individual is part of the whole family, the whole tribe or clan, and not a whole in and of him or herself. The idea of solidarity is that you can have a legitimate relationship with a person so that whatever that person achieves or loses, you achieve or lose. And we see this in marriage. My wins are Stephanie's wins. My losses are her losses. Sorry, babe. We see this in family, how we function. We see this as a community and as a church as we walk forward. And the challenge is that Adam, and what Paul's pointing out, is that Adam, he changed the community. He opened the door. See, Adam's fall is that Adam listened to the wrong mentoring voice. Adam was set up as what? As a steward. He was set up as a, as a protector, as one to help that flourish. And Adam had one rule, one rule. And now we know, never give a kid just one rule, Okay. He had one rule, don't eat from that tree. Don't press that button. And there was enough sin in me as a kid that, man, you tell me not to press that button, the whole day going, I gotta press that button. (laughs) He had one rule. But here was Satan's offer, and I want you to listen to this today. See, Satan's offer had this suggestion of greater community. It's like, Adam, you want community? I got greater community. Here's what he said. He said, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. This was the offer that Satan gave to Adam. This is all good. I can make it better. You can be like God. Can Adam be like God? No. We are terrible gods. That crushes us. It destroys us. It kills us. See, there are so many voices that are trying to create an edge in our life. This whole process of sharpening, there's people out there, they're ready to sharpen you, but it's not for your benefit, it's for theirs. God is the only one that brings you into a process and says, I'm gonna sharpen you, I'm gonna refine you for your benefit, for my glory, because you're my child. This is what God does in our life. This is why we need to be so careful about what we allow to create that edge in us. What process are we in? Because as Paul is pointing out, one act of disobedience, it led to a long line of disobedience, death. Do you have any stories like this in your family? Where one act, it threw a whole family off. Maybe in your own life. There are times you wish you could go back and go, if I didn't do that one thing, God. That one thing. I have those stories. I have those things. I have times in my life that I wish I did this, but I did that. See, we all have those things we can point to. But here's the good news. The good news is that Paul didn't stop there. Paul identified the problem, but he identified the solution. And he said, here's the good news. Jesus has restored the community. And just like death came through one, now new life comes through Jesus. Because Jesus opened a brand new door, buddy. And we can all walk through it if we receive him. See, life came through the world through one man. Paul said that just as sin reigned in death, grace also reigns through righteousness leading to eternal life. 
And Paul goes on to say that Jesus' gift to us, it's bigger than the offense. Even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the great thing about community is since we are all connected, the one man brought us down the wrong road. One man, Jesus, comes in and he brings us on the right road because we are all connected. His life-saving power is available to all of us. Now, as a guy who jumped over a lot of kids, that brings me a lot of hope. This is Jesus. We had a big problem. Adam opened one door. Jesus opens up the other door. One person could change everything, and Jesus did. Jesus did, and he's still changing it. So what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us? 2019, can you believe it? Here's a challenge for us. This door comes with a responsibility. Every great thing comes with a responsibility. And our responsibility is that we have a responsibility to represent. We have a responsibility to represent. See, we represent our community, which is the body of Christ. Whatever we are connected to affects us. You've probably heard it many times said by so many people all the way from people on the street to big leaders to where I like Jesus, my problem's with his followers. And there are commonly two challenges with that. Either the follower is not representing Jesus or the person doesn't know Jesus. And sadly, often, It's our failure to represent who Jesus is. See, there's a responsibility that that comes with that. Whatever we are connected to, it affects us. And we are called to be like mirrors that reflect the glory of God. But in order to reflect who Jesus is, who do we need to be looking at? Jesus. I need to be looking at Jesus because whatever I look at, I reflect. See, when I walk through the city of Shoreline, I'm not just representing Dwayne. I'm representing a follower of Christ where I'm walking through. When they see me, I want them to see Jesus. And that reflects back on the body of Christ because I reflect my community. As I walk through, I want to be a representative of who Jesus is, who died for me, who saved me while I was still dead to sin. And he's rejuvenating me and he's filled me with his spirit and I'm walking in power. So as I see a situation that is so messy, I don't know what to do. My life is filled with the spirit and now I'm alive in that. It's not my life that's living, but it's Jesus who's alive in me. But I need to be looking at Jesus. If I'm to walk, I need to be looking at him all the time. And I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now, okay? I'm preaching to myself. I need to be filled more and more and more. The responsibility that comes with that, knowing that one can lead somebody off, it drives me to my knees. I need to be digging into the word of God. I need to be memorizing the word of God. By I, I mean Dwayne. Digging in, knowing it. I need to be finding a group. Where's a group of people I can get with, study the word of God, and be filled with it because I want to lead people to Christ. I want to be looking at Jesus so that when people look, it's reflecting off me. I'm going, come and meet Jesus. If you know him, you're going to love him. You're going to want to be with him. You're going to want to surrender everything to him. When I'm helping my kids through challenges, I'm looking at Jesus, and he's reflecting me. Because, see, when I'm walking with him, it's not something I can't say, okay, okay, kids, wait a minute now. I need to get the mirror off. I need to dust it off and put some work because dad hasn't been looking at Jesus all week. 
It is a daily discipline of walking, and this is the responsibility that we have because when Satan comes to tempt me in despair, I want to look up and see Jesus and say, get behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I'm reflecting who Jesus is because my kids need you. My family needs you. The guy on the street needs you. The CEO of the corporation needs you. The leaders in our community, they need you, and Jesus has sent me and all of us, but we need to be filled with him. Our groups should be filled because you know what? We have an opportunity. Jesus can do anything in me, but he needs to be in me. We need to find a group. I want to be in a group and grow in God because I want to see what Jesus is going to do because I need you. My Bible should be tore up or your iPad should just be lit with Bible apps and you're going through it and seeing it. And you're calling people and saying, what's up with this verse? I don't know what it means. You know somebody to call. Let's talk about it. We need this in our life. There's a responsibility because there's this whole idea and this truth that whatever's in my life is going to pour out. You can't hide it. And we should understand that in Seattle. Every water, everything that we put down that drain, when we stuff stuff down the drain that we think is okay, no one's going to know, it eventually gets out to the Puget Sound, doesn't it? Everything we pour goes out. It's the same thing spiritually. Whatever is in you, it's going to pour out. And it's going to end up in the water supply affecting everybody. So I say that not in judgment, but in encouragement. God, let me be in your word. God, help me to turn off Netflix. Help me to turn off YouTube. And I'm not condemning them. I'm just saying, I better have a lot more of your word in me. That's where I'm at. Am I spending more time in the word of God? Or am I spending more time watching cars, comedians in cars, drinking coffee, Right? I'm getting real personal now, aren't I? (laughs) Right? God, we have such a responsibility. We have such an opportunity that God is calling us to. Because there are two truths that are alive in us today. And I'm closing with this. See, the two truths is that you're always pouring something out. Even when you're silent. You can tell where somebody is, can't you? Right? When somebody walks up. Sometimes I've been more hurt by somebody's silence than I have by their words. Sometimes I've hurt other people more with my silence than I have with my words. I don't want to miss it. I want my life to be filled with the Spirit of God. And because I'm always pouring out, I'm always leaking out. So I need to be refilled and refilled and refilled. And Jesus keeps saying, come on to me. Yeah, the offense of Adam. And the word that's often used for Adam just means humanity. It's us. We've all sinned. We've all opened that door to sin and it's affected us and everybody around us. And Paul said, as big as that was, The gift of God is greater. It is grace and mercy. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, Jesus sees it. He's going, are you ready to receive my grace? Receive my grace. Open the door of grace and walk through it. Allow him to transform it. Do you want to walk in that life to the full that John 10, 10 talks about? That's what I want. I want to see my children filled with the Holy Spirit as power. I want to see this church filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with that power. I want to see my city filled. And it starts with one. It starts with you. Being filled, walking out, affecting your family, your business, being filled with the power of God. When you walk around people, they sense something about you. They don't, 
They may not know what it is, but they're drawn to it in your pain and your suffering, wherever you are. He's calling us to so much more because the challenge is so much more. See, Jesus is not scared by the challenge that we have in Shoreline in Seattle. Sometimes we are. He's saying, if you're willing to open your life and see what I'll do with you, if you will get on your knees, if you'll be filled with the power, be filled with the spirit, I will change you. Prayer changes us and it makes us a catalyst to go out. And now see, everything pours out. Would you stand with me today? And if this has resonated with you, just begin to invite the power of the Holy Spirit to fill your life and to speak to you. Invite that process that the Spirit brings, saying, Lord, where do I need to be sharpened? I want to invite you to say that prayer. We all need sharpening. Ask Jesus, Jesus, where do I need to be sharpened today? Where do I need to be sharpened? You know, ask yourself, and then later ask somebody who knows you really well, say, what's pouring out of my life? Somebody that you, you trust. What's something good that's pouring out? That's a good place to start. Here's something good that's pouring out. Now, what are some things that are pouring out of me that shouldn't be coming out of me? We need to bring that to Jesus today. Lord, Speak, your servants are listening. Fill us and refine us. You've called us to so much more of a life. You're preparing us, you're seasoning us, you're sharpening us and strengthening us. Help us to lean into that process, that refiner's fire, I pray. As we walk in you. As we walk in you. Amen, I want to invite all all my prayer team people just to, move to their positions. And if I could have some of them come down here around the altar. You can go to the side and pray with somebody. You can come here to the, to the altar. Amen. Board members, would you come forward and pray with some people today, please? Just want you to spread out. Let's head into a time of response. Come out and pray with somebody. Or maybe turn to your neighbor and say, man, will you pray with me? Here's what I'm dealing with today. Let's respond to this word of the Lord. Let's respond as we worship today.